Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Museums all over the country are removing or covering up exhibitions that contain Native items since new federal rules took effect in January. The new law, an update to the three-decade-old Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, requires federally funded institutions to consult with tribes on public displays. Those institutions are scrambling to comply. Proponents say it's long overdue. We'll hear about it coming up right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. While efforts to repatriate Alaska Native remains have been ongoing, keeping track of those remains has been difficult. But now the Alutic Museum in Kodiak, Alaska, is building a database. KMXT's Brian Venwa reports, in about two years, tribes will be able to track repatriation progress online. Amanda Lancaster is the Alutic Museum's curator of collections. She says the $100,000 grant comes from the National Park Service's Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act. One of the major problems with NAGPRA is that there, there is not like a central database that shows what has been repatriated, what has been claimed. And so oftentimes tribes will spend time pursuing these repatriations and then it turns out that that you know, set of ancestral remains was, was returned and reburied 20 years ago. The new grant now gives the Alutic Museum federal funds to create a central database that tracks repatriation progress. The money is going to be split for travel to villages to meet with tribal representatives and for staff to dedicate their time towards the project. Lancaster says the museum will also use funds to contract outside software developers to create the system. Part of that money is earmarked for them to, to work on that database for us to create a, a login system so that tribes, tribes can actually access the database themselves. This is just the latest step in bringing Alutic and Sukpiak remains back to the archipelago. The Kodiak Alutic Sukpiak Repatriation Commission and museum staff have been working to repatriate several human remains since 2007. Lancaster says the commission last met in 2022 after the museum got a similar grant that would fund more research to find additional remains. We identified 12 collecting institutions in the U.S. that had the remains of at least 168 Alutic ancestors, and those are just the ones we know about. The database is expected to be completed in the next two years and will only be accessible to Kodiak's 10 federally recognized tribes. In Kodiak, I'm Brian Benoit. Two Native groups are headed to Las Vegas for the Super Bowl, but not to cheer on the NFL championship game between Kansas City and San Francisco. As KMBA's Jill Freitas reports, they'll be holding a demonstration on Sunday. The Greater Kansas City Area Group, not in our honor, plans to make the trip to Vegas for what members say will be a peaceful demonstration outside the stadium. They'll be joined by the group Arizona Rally Against Mascots. Members of the groups are advocating for the Kansas City team to change its name and for the end of Native cultural appropriation. Galen Krauser is executive director of the Kansas City Indian Center and a member of Not In Our Honor. She'll be in Vegas for the demonstration and says that showing up to such a big event is important. Stand up and show there is opposition to the use of our imagery and likeness and the bastardization of our culture and all of those things, that, that it's not okay and that they don't have the support of all of Indian country. 
The Kansas City team has been gaining much attention, all due to the celebrity of Taylor Swift. The singer is dating one of the players. Krauser says she thinks Swift could be an advocate for the Native groups. If she were to say to them, I want to support my boyfriend and I really want to do whatever I can, but this particular issue is wrong to have human beings as a mascot and to utilize the imagery that way and, and come out against it, I believe she would have a lot of sway. Krauser says she's thankful Swift has not taken part in evoking the outdated stereotype of Native people when fans chant and do the tomahawk chop at games. And as far as the team changing its name, Krauser thinks it will have to take something drastic like a financial hit, but not in our honor plans to continue to hold demonstrations as long as it takes. I'm Jill Freitas. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Skugtash. For more than 40 years, Ramona Farms has revived ancient traditional foods, tepary beans, pinoli, polentas, and more, all from store.ramonafarms.com. Ramona Farms supports this show. Om Support by the American Indian College Fund, providing millions of dollars of scholarships to Native students every year. Applications are accepted through May 31st at collegefund.org or by phone at 800-766-FUND. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The Field Museum in Chicago, the Denver Art Museum, and the Cleveland Museum of Art are among many institutions around the country removing or covering up public displays of Native American items. The American Museum of Natural History is closing two entire halls of exhibits, adding that the displays do not respect the values and a sense of humanity for indigenous peoples. Why is this happening now? New language inserted into the 33-year-old Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act explicitly requires institutions to seek informed consent from tribes on items that have special cultural significance. As a result, both tribes and museums face a new flood of repatriation work ahead. In this hour, we're discussing how the new NAGPRA rules are playing out for both tribes and museums, and you can join us. Is removing indigenous items a missed educational opportunity for the public, or have institutions neglected their responsibility this whole time. Our phone lines are open. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us today from Riverside, California, is Dr. Miranda Roberts. She's a guest curator and visiting art history professor at the Benton Museum of Art at Pomona College. She is Chicana and a citizen of the Yarrington Paiute tribe. Hello, Miranda. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Good to have you. From Los Angeles, California, we have William Hughes. He is the president of the Authentic Tribal Arts Dealers Association. Hi, William. Welcome to the show as well. Thanks. Happy to join you. And in Flagstaff, Arizona, we have Kate Compton-Gore. She is a doctoral candidate in the Interdisciplinary Health Program at Northern Arizona University. 
Her dissertation focuses on NAGPRA policy and environmental justice. Kate is also the NAGPRA specialist at the Museum of Northern Arizona, NAU. Hi, Kate. It's great to have you on the show as well. Hi, thanks for having me. Miranda, I'm going to start with you today. Now, let's talk a little bit about what is actually happening there in the field at these museums. And you previously worked at the Field Museum in Chicago. Uh, do you have any sense of what types of items or displays are no longer up uh, available for the public to view as of January 12th? Yes. So for my understanding, because um, I haven't worked there in about uh, two years now, but from what I've read is that it's mostly the cultural items um, in the Northwest Pacific Hall, um, as well as the Alaskan Hall. They, um, When they built that hall in the 1970s, they put those two groups together. And so a lot of those items that are on display have um, spiritual um, connections to the communities. I've given tours in there where people have said that belong to their great-great-grandmother or other things of that nature um, that haven't really been respected in the past. So I feel like this is just like a really great step to begin those processes of honoring what families have been asking for for a very long time. So January 12th, that was when these new NAGPRA rules went into effect. And what do we know about these displays from the Pacific Northwest and also Alaska that uh, required the museum to put them away? Um, like I, from what I know, um, I didn't get to work on that specific hall because when I was working to update the Native American um, hall, which I understand that the Pacific Northwest and Alaska are part of the Native American hall, but they're separated in that institution, um, is that there's a lot of like um, masks on display that shouldn't be on display. There are some totems that shouldn't be. There's just a lot of things that families have come in and said that this isn't appropriate for the larger public to see um, and that are not, um, that should be consulted with more tribes so that way we can understand it from a better context from the community. So it's very much a uh, spiritual tied um, cultural items. And Miranda, your experience working there, how did that shape your view in terms of how museums interact in the relationships that they maintain with both tribes and curators? That is a great question. Um, I'm very open with my experience there. Um, I, it was a very traumatizing experience because I believe that that institution, not anyone in particular, but the institution doesn't know the best practices of working with Native cultural people, including the people who work inside of the museum, who they hire as Native curators. And that is because they just don't understand our backgrounds, our worldviews, or um, the kinds of things that are getting in the way or that do impact us, right, um, on a daily basis. And also, they don't understand the Field Museum, doesn't understand the role that it has played in some of the harm that it has done to our communities. And Can so you give us I an example? That... I'm sorry. Can you give us an example of this, uh, this lack of uh, communication or this disregard that these museums, uh, that you've seen them display towards curators and, and Native communities? Sure, yeah, you know, and again, this is just, this was a few years ago during the height of pandemic, um, but also a lot of things were going on, but I also, there was instances where I wasn't getting along, um, for my example, with people in a certain department, like the conservationist part, department that takes care of cultural items from a very scientific point of view, right? So like who bring the pieces up from the collection, 
to make sure that they are preserved for longevity at the museum and taken care of from that specific point of view. When we would bring in community members um, to say, like, this is not how we want this displayed, or we would rather you take care of a piece in this way, there would be a lot of, you know, back and forth over what the community wanted versus what the institution wanted. Um, and we tried to find a happy medium ground, but it would often, you know, have to go into a lot of meetings to get to a point where that medium ground was founded. Well, let's talk about the new language specifically that these institutions are responding to and taking action. What exactly does it say and how is it changing how these museums are operating? Well, from what I looked at yesterday and what I've been looking over for the past few weeks since this has opened is what I've been really focusing on is this idea of consent that the museums in question that are covering up their display cases um, have to get consent from communities before they even want to like um, exhibit cultural items, which is a huge shift from what had happened um, in the 1990s where that wasn't the case. And I think that a lot of institutions don't understand what consent means. Um, from what I understand, um, it, it, and what I mean by that is having to explicitly go into community and ask for permission to display pieces and listen and build community for the first time with a lot of these communities um, to get on a good even footing so that way it doesn't feel like the indigenous people are continually taking care or advantage of. And so from my understanding, um, these new rules are in place to ensure that more sovereignty and more agency is given to the indigenous communities rather than the institution. Now, what I've read from uh, some parties that that aren't wild about these changing these changes that are being made uh, is this whole idea of what it means for cultural identification and also traditional knowledge and there's this thought that well that can change amongst tribes and, and how do we really know and it kind of gives all of this ad hoc decision-making power to tribes to kind of step in do you think they have a point at all or are those concerns unwarranted Mm, I think that is a it's it's that's a debatable question per institution, right? Because some of our the way that um, these institutions collected our cultural items is not one particular way. Some of them were horrendous in how they collected our cultural items, and other places maybe had better relationships. So the foundation of the collection is um, usually where I start at over how our relationships set up between communities. Um, I think that more people need to realize, though, that like we didn't ask as Native people to have our cultural items in these institutions. They were taken from us or we sold them to these institutions under a sign of duress because our communities were suffering. And so I think that that needs to come under the, the spotlight a little bit is the institutions need to educate their non-Native visitors about why they have these pieces in the first place. Um, and use the pieces to talk about that history rather than just say, well, we have these pieces about Native people, come see them. Um, that's how I feel. Now, one area where I've heard museums push back before and they're continuing to push back with some of these changes is the major commitment of time and resources that they have to deploy in order to get up to snuff with these new requirements uh, do you think those are fair concerns, the amount of time and resources in a relatively short period that they have to deploy? Or do you think that's just another excuse for some of these museums to not be more proactive? Um, I say it's, it could be a borderline excuse, honestly, because I, in my experience, have noticed that a lot of these 
efforts are what only paid attention to when an exhibition is meant to go on display or a new exhibition is meant to come up. And I often question, like, institutions, are you here to do the work of building better community with these communities, or do you just want to continue to exploit us because you have a collection of things that you stole from us? And I try to get through those questions really quickly because I think that once you get to the, the ground and the foundation of it, you find out really quickly if an institution is really for the people or for just the bottom line. Um, and so I really think that a lot of these spaces have what it takes to go and do this work, but they have to realize that they may not see like exhibition type of um, stuff that the public can see. A lot of this stuff is just going to happen internally without any recognition, and that has to be okay. Thank you, Miranda. This is a, a really compelling topic that we're covering here on Native America Calling today. Some changes to NAGPRA, 33-year-old law, Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act. How often do you go to museums? And when you go to museums, do you see Native American items and objects on display? Do you ever think to yourself who those items might have originally belonged to? the families, the individuals who owned those items? Do you ever think how those items wound up in that display case? Were they purchased? Were they stolen? Interesting things to think about today here on Native America Calling. If you've got a question or a comment or you'd like to add some insight, give us a call. We've got the phone lines open and we are waiting for your call. 1-800-996-2848. Those flashing red and blue lights in your rearview mirror usually trigger a feeling of dread? Do you know what to do to avoid making your interaction with police from getting worse? Is there anything you can do now to be prepared if you're ever arrested? We'll get a look at what people can expect if they find themselves on the wrong side of the law. That's on the next Native America Calling. Sik tisi tawul kut kwan nakati yi teh, kitainatha, chutlaukatu art, kathi eel tik, kwathi silko has had a yaku te has to teh, as to in you haitha adat, EIHS kahi eek, kachu healthcare dot gov kati spain, kachu one eight hundred three one eight two five nine six kahi eek, Medicare ka Medicaid jidahiu katank aya. This is Native America Calling. We're talking about the new NAGPRA rules that took effect on January 12th. It requires free, prior, and informed consent from tribes to display historical and sacred items. What do you think of the response to the new rules? How do you think this affects public displays for history and education? Let us know at 1-800-996-2848. That number again, 1-800-996-2848. Give us a call. Tell us what you think. Let's now get a tribal perspective. Crystal Seabaring is the Deputy Director for the Northern Arapaho Tribal Historic Preservation Office. She's Northern Arapaho and Cheyenne River Sioux. In this recorded interview, she told producer Andy Murphy that her office has become much busier since the new rules went into effect. 
Um, yeah, we just recently uh, worked with the Boston Museum of Fine Arts on their exhibit. They had an Arapaho dress there that we consulted with them on. Um, so we could tell it was, you know, very special. We reopened the gallery just this past week, and we, we reviewed it to make sure the wording was okay. You know, this was um, consulted on by Plains tribes, you know, the Northern Arapaho, and I think it was the Matisse tribe as well. So we kind of gave the okay, yes, this can be displayed. This wording will go with it. It was okayed by, by us. It was cleared by us to do that. So the, the load has increased a lot. I've been in probably two or three NAGPRA consultations a week since then. It's a good problem, you know, it's something I think that tribes wanted was just the transparency and the opportunity to look at the inventory and work it out with other tribes too in consultations of how are we going to get our ancestors home, are we going to get our sacred items and objects back. This new NAGPRA regulations really opens up the door for a lot of tribes to have a say in what's an item of cultural patrimony with the funerary object because in the terms before and how it was described, you know, there was always the academic side of it. Um, anthropologists, archaeologists, museum curators, they would deem what was funerary or what was sacred. And so now tribes have an opportunity to go in there and to say, like, this is a funerary object. This is a sacred object. And they're able to listen and take that down, you know, and document it. And it creates the greater strength in tribes to have their say, their knowledge you know, included in there, not just from the academic standpoint, but from tribal knowledge. That was Crystal Seabaring from the Northern Arapaho Tribal Historic Preservation Office. Let's go to the phones now. Chanupa, who is listening on Keeley Radio in Pine Ridge, South Dakota. Hello, Chanupa, and I understand you've been involved in some repatriation efforts yourself. for taking my call. What I want to share with all of you in the listening environment because of what the new uh, NAGPRA, you know, uh, affiliation has done to our people. First off, about seven years ago, me and my men went down to Lancaster, Ohio, and brought some of our relatives' remains back and also some artifacts. But here's the catch, people. We can't put our hands on our remains of our ancestors, past and present. In Lakota, they say, So there's an Indian hex that is applied to those remains and artifacts. So what we did, the Strong Heart Warrior Society, we made the white people burn them up. Because they were the ones that did that. And many, many people all across Turtle Island witnessed that over and over. And then when they put us in it, it's going to cause controversy and bad judgment amongst our people. And lives are going to be lost. And so we are told anciently never to disturb the dead. And so please, people... Please really take that into consideration. We cannot be thinking like white people. That's their way. We will never go up to the little bighorn and try to dig up General Custer mm -hmm. and examine Zuma's body, yet alone, uh, you know, George Washington or Abe Lincoln. You see, that's not our culture. That's Caucasian's culture. So let's be real clear 
and independent with that because we are told, if you're believing in the ancient way, they say, Meaning the grandmother now coats that loved one with her blanket. And this is a beautiful topic that you talk about, and I want to give my hats off to you, Sean, for continuously sharing these kind of momentums amongst our people. I disagree with a lot of them because of what the uh, Native American uh, Graves Protection Act has done to our people. We didn't do that. They did. Thank you, and thank you for taking my call from the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. Hokahe. Well, Chanupa, I appreciate your call, and uh, you definitely underscore the complexities that we face as Native people and a Native perspective of what it means to actually repatriate items, uh, human remains, and artifacts. So uh, good call from Chanupa listening up in Pine Ridge, South Dakota. Let's hear now from William Hughes. He's our next guest, president of the Authentic Tribal Arts Dealers Association. Hello, William. Welcome again to the show. And let's talk a little bit about these new NAGPRA rules and their effect on the art world. What are you seeing? Well, I mean, I, it's hard to, to say what the effect will be on the art world, although it will, it will have some indirect effect because if uh, Native American, Native Hawaiian uh, materials are you know, no longer on display, it will have some impact on the art world in terms of uh, collectors, their, their interest. But I guess what I would like to bring up that hasn't been raised yet is that um, the 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 new regulation, particularly um, 10.1D, the prior consent requirement, um, is going to be. It's certainly a win for activists. It's going to break the repatriation logjam and provide them with a very co- coercive tool to force repatriation of items from museums. However, it is going to be a disaster and uh, cause a lot of disruption and confusion and probably loss of collections, of course, at museums. I guess what I would like to highlight a couple issues is that um, the proposed regulations before the final regulations were issued, when they issued proposed regulations, the Department of Interior, it only called for museums to consult, collaborate, and obtain consent on the appropriate treatment, care, or handling of human remains or cultural items. It did not include any duty to obtain consent before display of the material as was mandated in the final rule. Um, very little notice was given to the museum community, um, probably less than 30 days. Uh, so it was a bit of a shock because this, this cons- prior consent was not contained in the proposed regulation. William, you describe this as potentially a disaster, yeah. and you mentioned loss of collections. Like, yeah. who will museums lose these collections to? I'm not clear. Well, they'll be repatriated. Um, it's not, they won't be lost. They'll re, be repatriated. I mean, Shannon I mean, O'Laughlin, you know, head of the Association of American Indian Affairs, uh, just quoted yesterday that this is her her statement, covering displays or taking down things isn't the goal. It's about repatriation, returning objects back to the tribes. This is just one part of a bigger process. The true test is what ultimately becomes of the removed items. 
So I guess the point I'm raising is I think that it's quite likely that these closed display cases, closed galleries um, in the long run will be permanently closed. And it, in that sense, it will be a loss to museums. Of course, there's different perspectives. I realize that. And it may be a loss to many urban you know, Native Americans that liked access to cultural items in, in, in their city and feel a sense of pride that these items are displayed on an equal footing with other world cultures. I think that there is some there's some legal issues um, around this um, that will need to be resolved. Uh, whether the the Department of Interior um, you know exceeded its statutory authority, um, because there's nothing in NAGPRA itself requiring prior consent be, to access or display uh, items. And that there, it's inconsistent with many of the provisions of NAGPRA itself. So I, I think that it just caused a world of confusion. The, the Department of Interior, the, mess, the, the way they did this, um, the lack of notice, and the difference between the proposed regulations and the final regulation. William, in your view, what would have been a better way to go about with these changes, these new procedures, these new policies, because uh, we just go back to this is not a new law. This is 33 years. Some of these right. museums have had to comply. And here we yeah. are. We're still going back and forth. So in your view, what's the solution? Uh, there's there's not a simple solution, but some of the changes that were made um, to the NAGPRA regulations, um, you know, would would be helpful. Um, the, 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 the requirement for deference of federal agents to defer to um, Native American um, uh, opinions and conclusions uh, is, is one positive thing. Uh, there's also the uh, Native American traditional knowledge as being recognized as evidence because that can be a problem in determining characterizing items. And I'm sorry, how but, can that be a problem, traditional knowledge? It, what is it about that term? Do you think it's too vague? Do you think it's a term oh, that it's, can, it's can change? It's, de it's definitely very vague, but it at least can form evidence, which, you know, perhaps before it wasn't valued as, as evidence. So these are small tweaks, but the idea of just requiring prior consent if you if you need prior consent of a third party, then you're essentially um, being deprived of that that property. And NAGPRA does recognize that even under its own terms, that that a right of possession, which is required in in, in many of the cases for a museum to retain, you know, um, cultural items, it still can is still circumscribed by the Fifth Amendment. Um, you know, pro prohibition against uh, taking without compensation. So there are many items in museum collections that may be sensitive and they may, they may be funerary, but the museums do actually have good title. You know, there's a moral issue whether that should be so, but I'm just speaking only in a strict legal sense. 
William, thank you so much. Really appreciate you sharing your perspectives. Uh, you mentioned Shannon O'Loughlin uh, a couple of minutes ago, and she just called in. We've got her on the line right now. Shannon O'Loughlin, Chief Executive with the Association on American Indian Affairs. She's a citizen of the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. She's also a uh, chief executive and a lawyer. Hi, Shannon. Thanks for calling in. Holly Toe, how are you doing? Holly Toe, you just couldn't couldn't uh, hold off, huh? You had to jump oh. in and, and weigh in on this conversation. <laughs> My ears were burning. <laughs> well, sing it, sister. What do you have to say? Well, um, I really appreciate the conversation that we're having today about these important changes to the the NAGPRA regulations. Unfortunately, I have concerns about um, Williams' additions to the conversation. The um, Atata organization has not been a friendly player with uh, Native nations uh, in working towards repatriation. In fact, they are they even have their own auctions to um, increase their legal fund so that they can use that legal fund to attack um, uh, Native Nations' uh, work towards developing the STOP Act. They've opposed NAGPRA. They've opposed and other appropriate standards for auction houses and dealers. They've opposed. So Atata is not really um, a non-interested player in this discussion. They are very much um, wanting to protect their commercial interests and um, have argued always um, in opposition to NAGPRA and other supportive tools for repatriation. So um, he has a lot of, of his legal issues incorrect. I'm happy to to. I could, but I could go on all day. You know me. So um, <laughs> uh, do you have any questions of me? I could better answer Will's. Um, well, let me ask you this, Shannon. Okay, so these changes that we're talking about, uh, which really essentially give tribes and Native people more agency over these collections and over the items that they contain, what do you think? Do you think overall these are a big win? For, for folks oh, like yourself who are engaged in their repatriation efforts? Right. They're a big win, and I want to say they're a big win not just for Native nations, not just for Native peoples and Native advocates, but they're a big win for institutions and museums as well. Um, uh, institutions have learned more, have been able to do more and educate themselves about Native nations' histories, cultures, and lifeways because of NAGPRA. Uh, uh, before NAGPRA, institutions ignored Native nations and Native peoples. Um, this requires them to bring us to the table. Uh, so now, finally, institutions are able to learn about the provenance and provenience of any particular item, which, of course, many auction houses and dealers um, do not speak truth to either, and they often formulate their own um, origination of, of different items uh, so that they can, quote-unquote, make, make them legal. Uh, but regardless, if they're Native cultural heritage, if they're defined by NAGPRA, those are community-held, nation-held items that cannot be dispossessed by the act of an individual. 
they have to have that free prior and informed consent before they ever leave uh, a tribe. And many of the items that are out in the private market that are on even at the Tata's website are sensitive cultural heritage items that should not be made for sale. And these are the types of items that should absolutely be repatriated. We've got a really, really fast-paced conversation here on Native America Calling today. We're talking about recent changes to NAGPRA, the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act. And we've got different perspectives, folks. We have people who are involved in repatriation efforts. We have people who have worked at museums. We have people who represent tribes. And uh, we're going to give you both sides of these issues. And we want you to listen and pay attention and think to yourself, how does this impact your life? How does it impact your community? How does it impact your family? And come up with the, right, with the correct response for your own life and your own views. If you've got something to add, give us a call. Let us know. Chime in. Engage with us. 1-800-99-NATIVE. That's the phone line here at the studio. We're going to take a short break. We're going to come back with another call, and we're going to hear more from our guests. Pursuing a degree in higher education is attainable, and with a scholarship from Native Forward Scholars Fund, it is more affordable. From aerospace to veterinary medicine, as the largest direct scholarship provider to Native students in the U.S., Native Forward has empowered over 22,000 students from over 500 tribes in all 50 states in pursuit of their undergraduate, graduate, and professional degrees. Info and applications at nativeforward.org who support this show. You are listening to Native America Calling. I'm your host, Sean Spruce, and we're focusing on new NAGPRA rules and new mandates for federally funded art museums to consult with tribes on important and sacred items in their inventory. How has your tribe been working on repatriation and consultation projects with art museums? Is it going well? Are you having challenges? Let us know. There's still time to join this conversation at 1-800-996-2848. Let's take another caller now, Kate, listening on KUNM in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Hi, Kate. Thanks for calling in. Thank you very much, Sean. It's good to be here. Good to have you, Kate. Sean, I wanted to address what I saw as heard, rather, as a, a really serious misrepresentation um, by Shannon O'Loughlin earlier in the, the discussion. And I'm concerned about this particularly because I think that um, advocating for a hostile relationship between tribal art collectors and art dealers and museums and tribes has a very negative effect on the ability of all of the parties to work together. And the reason this came to mind was because I've had the privilege of working with Robert Gallegos, who is a former president of Atada and who six years ago initiated on Atada's behalf a voluntary returns program that has had a tremendous effect in building rapport and relationships between tribal art dealers and tribes. And this voluntary returns program in which art dealers and collectors voluntarily have returned more than 450 sacred items to southwestern tribes in the last six years has been 
in many ways more effective than uh, NAGPRA in directly interacting not with the tribal political groups, but with the tribal elders themselves who give the direction, who inform us when there are items that they are looking for, who will also inform us if there are items that are not related to their tribes or where they're no longer necessary or even wanted for uh, traditional ceremonies. Okay. And this, Kate, I'm sorry, this, quickly here. Uh, this is interesting what you're describing to us. So are you telling us that you folks are, are better doing this on your own? You've been more successful? You don't need NAGPRA? Not at all. NAGPRA is a very important law that Atada supported. And in fact, uh, Mr. Gallegos was one of the persons who gave testimony on NAGPRA in, the ni- in 1990 before it was passed. And so Atada supported NAGPRA at that time. It's a really old organization. So certainly not. NAGPRA is an essential mechanism for returning, allowing tribes to identify and returning materials. I don't think anyone in the United States would have any concerns about uh, repatriating ancestors. That's something that the new rules under NAGPRA will help to speed up. But I think the concerns are that that a um, creating hostility between tribes and the communities that uh, tribes live in, since most, I think only 13% of Native American peoples now live in on tribal lands, um, is is not beneficial. And I think I would have real concerns about the educational role that museums can play, especially through a positive interaction with tribes and involving tribes in educa- educational activities there, since our schools are no longer providing the um, education in arts that that they used to do. Museums have had to take up that slack, and okay. I like to see that happening. Kate, I really appreciate your call. Thank you so much for sharing your perspectives. Uh, Shannon, I'm going to go ahead and let you respond here. Uh, Kate suggests that uh, creating hostility between tribes and museums, that's not the right approach. What do you say? I, I agree. I absolutely agree. But I want to apologize for being hostile against the actions of Hatata in Indian country. Um, And I'm feeling a little bit emotional and nervous about the conversation right now. Um, Hatata has been known um, over more than 30 years for being an adversary to Native nations. Their voluntary repatriation program has been wonderful and beautiful rhetoric, but um, they, it lacks any kind of transparency uh, so that anyone from the outside can understand what their voluntary repatriation program really is about and what kind of successes it has. Again, uh, Kate and others are working to develop a legal defense fund so they can attack advocates like the Association on American Indian Affairs and higher governmental affairs people to fight against legislation that's so important to Indian country, like the Safeguard Tribal Objects of Patrimony Act, and of course, NAGPRA and the NAGPRA regulations. So please know that you're being gaslit by ATADA and ATADA representatives. Uh, uh, NAGPRA is on a, a positive trajectory, and we're very happy about that. But unfortunately, the continuation of the sale of cultural heritage, these same items that are protected under NAGPRA um, uh, are not protected when they're held by private collectors 
uh, like those in Atada's group. All right, Shannon, thank you for calling in. Really appreciate you every time you join the show. And I do want to let William Hughes respond here. William, a, a lot of strong words and charges being leveled at the uh, at Atada, the Authentic Tribal Arts Dealers Association. Before we move on to our next guest, do you have anything more to add? Yes. Um, uh, thankfully, Kate set the record straight in terms of Atada's commitment to a voluntary return program, which we're proud of and has been very successful. It, 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 of course, lacks the transparency because it's not going through the federal government or large agency. It's really like tribe, Pueblo to Pueblo, elder to um, Bob Gallegos, uh, which is the way it should be, the respectful return. These are not items that have been in, in a museum. These are mostly private collectors or dealers that come upon these items in the marketplace and encourage somebody to return these through our program. We maintain a theft alert section on our website, which allows tribes, museums, or agencies to post stolen you know, art or cultural property. Our bylaws forbid members from purchasing or selling items known to be of current sacred communal use. Now, Shannon leaves out the problem that there are literally hundreds of thousands of objects in the marketplace and that there's been commerce, Native American communities producing art for sale for well over 150 years. So there's a lot of material circulating in the marketplace. And we are trying to bring, you know, ethical, an ethical trade to that marketplace. We are educating our members about the current laws and about items that are sensitive and should not be subject to the trade. Okay. And this is just a reality. There's, there's, there's just hundreds of thousands of objects out there, Sean. William, uh, these are good points you make, and, and especially this whole issue of some of these items are now private property. And that's a very different uh, status, legal status, than if they're in a collection of a museum or some sort of a public institution. So really appreciate you joining our show today. I, I want to go ahead and give our next guest a, enough time to chime in. Kate Gompton Core, Compton Core, who uh, again is with Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff. And Kate, uh, let's talk a little bit about the Museum of Northern Arizona and these new NAGPRA rules. What's been the effect for you? Sure, yes. Um, I would like to just reiterate what Shannon mentioned about the importance of provenance and provenience, so the history of an item and the location of where it came from. But my to start and to kind of get the conversation back towards museums, when I think the closing or covering of, of exhibits indicates that museums don't know what they have, and they haven't been accurately um, talking and having conversations with their tribal communities and doing proper consultation over the years. So when NAGPRA was passed, there was clear legislative language that would allow tribes, finally, to have the voice um, to determine and to be able to speak on the items and to receive these items back. However, it's been more than 30 years, and what we're finding is that that wasn't the case for many um, institutions and museums, and, and really, in, an, in one way to put it, the power has remained with the museum. Um, and so... I really think that with the final rule, it's getting back to the point of NAGPRA and that this is the right of the tribal communities. Um, these items belong to and come from Native American communities, and it shouldn't have to continue to be a fight to receive them back. Um, 
the Museum of Northern Arizona is, and the other piece of this is consultation. So consultation is ongoing. It's a conversation that has to continue in the present. So for example, not making assumptions on topics that came up in consultation even a year ago, even six months ago. And that when it comes to proper care for and display of Native American items, those conversations have to be continuing into the present. And if you don't have proper information on the items that you have on exhibit, um, then it's not the responsibility of the museum to be displaying those and creating the language around those items that is for the communities. Um, the, uh, M&A, the Museum of Northern Arizona, we have a gallery that was developed with close collaboration with our tribal partners. And every item in that gallery was chosen by tribal representatives. And this is just one way that, um, that I think is an example of how to decolonize museum practices by letting the tribes put the voices and put the words and choose the items. Um, we don't think so, and, and I've been asked this, like, do you think you're going to remove any items from that, from that exhibit? And the answer is we don't think we have any items because they were chosen. But that's not to say that could change. There could be items uh, on some of dis our displays that, that are looked at as being sacred and ceremonial and should be removed, which we will do so immediately. But we are also initiating new and ongoing consultations to ensure that everything we have on display is um, appropriate and is not culturally sensitive. Um, yes. And Kate, what was it that prompted the museum to do this? Because what you folks are doing there in Flagstaff is you're going above and beyond previous NAGPRA requirements. M&A has always taken the, the above and beyond and really working in the spirit of the law. So we have been successfully consulting and repatriating for decades. Um, and with the idea that, that I, you know, a, a personal belief is that all galleries and exhibits and museums should be created by and with the tribal communities instead of the um, closed museum community. And so that was really a goal to have an exhibit that was what the tribes, that our local tribal partners wanted to see, what they, how they wanted to tell the, their history, and, what, and how they wanted our public to be educated on the um, Colorado Plateau. And you're doing this voluntarily. You're not, uh, this isn't a mandate. No, it's not a mandate. We are doing this voluntarily. Um, that is, again, just the way that, that M&A has, has tried to continue to, as we move forward through the decades, and always try to you know, take the spirit of NAGPRA and go beyond that, because it's not about just returning. And I think uh, um, I've heard some language late recently about museums getting hung up on what a cultural item is. And what is the definition of a cultural item? And then you have to go back and have those conversations. So if you look at duty of care, so the National NAGPRA program has a duty of care and frequently asked questions. And number 12 asks, does your, our museum need to remove all human remains and potential cultural items from exhibit? And so I've interpreted that. And, and again, this is, the answer is on the National NAGPRA website. But if you have a good record of consultation, then you know all the information about the items that you have on display and whether or not they are sensitive or could potentially be, be sensitive. And I also think that you have to remember that an item that may have not been identified as culturally uh, sensitive or sacred and ceremonial yesterday could then be identified as one tomorrow. And that is where really understanding the item history, how you came by it, 
Um, if you have no information on an item, then you probably shouldn't display it. Um, if you have a tag or a plaque that says this was an item that was used in a ceremony or is for ceremonial purposes, well, that is the definition of a cultural item. Mm -hmm. So I really think it's going, it's really thinking outside of, of, of what is written down in law. Kate, earlier we heard these concerns that, well, these terms like traditional or cultural knowledge, these are vague, these are subjective. What I'm hearing from you is if the right consultation is in place with tribes, it doesn't have to be vague. Is that right? Well, and it doesn't have to be vague, or it's okay if it's vague to those of us who are not tribal or come from Native American backgrounds, because the tribal knowledge that, that our partners bring, that is the important information. So no, it's not vague. I think that um, it's okay if I don't understand. That is not my place to understand. So the traditional knowledge is 100% not vague to the indigenous communities who have that knowledge. That is their history. That is their story. That is their right to be able to use that information and know how their items are being handled, how they are being cared for, and getting them home as, as quickly as, as possible in the way that the tribes want it. Okay, we've got about a minute before we have to wrap up, but I want to also ask you about this other concern that, geez, it's a lot of time, a lot of staff hours, a lot of resources that have to go into repatriation. On your end, how big an undertaking has it been there for the museum to carry out all these activities? Well, we museums have had 33-plus years to figure this out, and M&A has, because we've consistently done that, it's never been a time or a budgetary issue because it's constantly ongoing. Um, we are in the process right now of reinitiating new consultation from, for some of our ancestors and cultural items that need to be um, consulted on. And so I think that if institutions prioritize it, it doesn't, it doesn't have to take a lot of time or a lot of money. It's ongoing. Unfortunately, folks, that is all the time we have for our conversation today. I'd like to thank all of our guests who joined us, Dr. Miranda Roberts, William Hughes, and Kate Compton-Gore, and also the callers we had today and the spirited conversation. We will be back again tomorrow with a show about informing yourself about interactions with the criminal justice system. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Does your club, institution, or other group need custom branded apparel? A wide variety of t-shirts, hoodies, and much more, all custom printed or embroidered, are available from nativescreenprinting.com, a division of Skyscreen Printing who support this program. A historical trauma master class taught by Dr. Ruby Gibson and staff provides tuition-free online training to tribal members who are therapists, counselors, social workers, and traditional healers. Enrollment deadline is March 1st at freedomlodge.org, who support this show.
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.